Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Seventy of Unfermentable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in some way, unfermentable. As I record this, the myths are not only officially, and not symbolically and obviously, playing out the string, but they are officially doomed to a losing record in 2021, uh, now that it's uh, late September. Yes, the Mets always find ways to pull the rug out from under you. Even I, who pretty much always expects the worst from this franchise, uh, it really struck me watching the Mets lay down for the Brewers this past weekend out in Milwaukee that I remembered watching the series that the Brewers and the Mets at City Field this summer and actually believing, you know, hey, this is a team that never quits. This is a team that things are actually working out for them. I don't care if we're down one run in the ninth to Josh Hader. We can get to him. And they did. Jose Peraza, probable future unformidable podcast subject, hit one of the unlikeliest of big hits in what was the first half that seemed filled with them. Uh, This weekend, we had a replay of that at-bat to close out the game, and my hopes were nil. And that was accurate. Uh, Hater struck out Peraza to end the game Saturday and send the Mets to yet another 
second half, one run defeat. No, this team is truly playing out the string. We've been here before as Met fans, but every season has its own story of how it gets there, and this one's hurt a lot more than most, I think. One season where the Mets' final destination was pretty clear early in the season was 1993. While 91 and 92 did see the team flounder, that was still a mild surprise in those years after the end of the 80s near dynasty. And of course, the 92 season uh, had the the record payroll, worst team money can buy team that tried and most people believed was going to buy their way back into relevance. But 1993 brought back that cast of lunatics and it kind of felt like it was going to be a dumpster fire to begin with, and it was. The Mets outdid the disappointment of 92 by bottoming out on their way to a 59-103 and 103 record, which was their worst record since, I think, 1965, which, uh, with this franchise, is really saying something. As you might imagine, there were a lot of late-season call-ups on that 93 team. I thought it would be fun to look at one of the most late September of all, uh, someone whose sole Met appearance of his career was shockingly successful at the end of a very, very long game, and who just checks a lot of unique and quirky boxes. A rare appearance in a Met-Yankee trade, and um, somewhat immortalized, or at least uh, immortalized as only a random Met could be uh, by Greg Prince in his Faith and Fear and Flushing book. Today we're going to look at Kenny Greer. Kenneth William Greer was born on May 12, 1967 in Boston, Massachusetts. A 6'2", 210-pound right-hander, he played his high school ball at Portsmouth, New Hampshire, before playing college ball at UMass Amherst, uh, which is not exactly a baseball hotbed insofar as I know. Wasn't much of a prospect insofar as I could tell. It was hard to find a lot of information out about him, about his high school, college, athletic career. Seems like he was, uh, the Yankees did draft him at the end of his senior year uh, out of, in the 10th round of the 1988 June draft. And it would seem he was probably someone who was destined or destined to be or regarded as more of an organizational filler type of arm as opposed to a developmental project. Aside from that first 1988 season, right after he was drafted in rookie low A ball, he pitched almost exclusively in relief in the minors. Uh, Development was obviously a bit different back then, and I think most pitchers were tried out as starters until it was clear they were going to fail there uh, before moving them to relief. Greer was moved almost immediately to relief, but he struggled and fought his way through six seasons in the Yankee organization. He was rarely a big strikeout guy, but he did have big, decent control, and probably the most notable and impressive skill he had, at least in the minor league level as a pitcher, was that he managed to keep the ball in the ballpark uh, over his minor league career which ultimately spanned parts of 10 seasons. He surrendered uh, 0.5 home runs per nine innings. He was not, however, a big strikeout guy. Again, in those 10 minor league years, he struck out only 
five and a half batters per nine innings. And you know, using these numbers because there's a very, very small sample size of major league numbers to look at. At age 25, Greer had perhaps his best year in the minors in, this would be in 1992, mostly in double A. Like finally, he got his first promotion up to AAA. Uh, 1993, he struggled a bit in his that full season at AAA. You could perhaps see a future or a timeline where uh, Kenny Greer would never get a chance to make an appearance at all in the show and might really plateau there at AAA. However, in an unusual confluence of baseball events just before the 1993 season, Kenny Greer would get his chance to pitch in the majors as a New York Met as he would be part of an incredibly rare September baseball trade, an even rarer, well, maybe not rarer, but an as rare trade between the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, and he would find himself traded to basically the worst team that money could buy, part due in 1993, where really anyone could get a chance, uh, just step right up and get a chance. Obviously, September trades were and are very rare. I don't even know if they're allowed under any circumstances now, but, you know, it's the, you know, players players involved have to clear waivers, so uh, there's the rarity of that. And again, perhaps more notably for Met fans and New York baseball fans, uh, the Yankees and Mets have participated in a trade or transaction together I believe only 15 times in their shared history. And like this one, almost none of them are of substantial note. Uh, The most notable ones have involved, I don't know, Rafael Santana, uh, an end of his career, Armando Benitez. I guess the biggest name was the David Justice, Robin Ventura trade, but the Mets uh, flipped Justice and he never appeared on the team that year anyway. Uh, But most of them involve... Really just shuffling decks and, you know, movement of marginal players or purchases of players' contracts. But in this particular case, with the Mets obviously way out of contention in a 103-loss season, and the Yankees desperately trying to flag down the soon-to-be back-to-back World Series champion Toronto Blue Jays in the AL East, the last-place Mets sent 39-year-old veteran Frank Tanana who was actually in the what would be the last year of his, I think about 20, 21 year major league career, struggling to a 7 and 15, 4.48 ERA with uh, the Mets in 93, uh, would be sent to the Yankees on September 17th, 1993, in exchange for Kenny Greer. Also, apologies if I ever call Kenny Greer Rusty Greer, because now that player's in my head and. I'm afraid I may have done that already. I hope not. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. At any rate, Tanana turned in three uh, decent starts for the Yankees. Uh, Pitched to a 3.20 ERA, although he went 0-2. The Yankees, of course, would not catch the Blue Jays, and the Mets, unfortunately, would also have to finish that 1993 season with another 15 games to play out the string before the 1993 season oh-so-mercifully ended. But before that season ended, journeyman, lifelong minor leaguer Kenny Greer would get his chance to make one appearance on the major league level with the Mets before the season would end. So since Kenny Greer made all of one appearance at a Met, we're going to look pretty relatively closely at that game for a few minutes. Uh, you know, there was certainly a lot of game to look at. For on the evening of September 29th, 1993, the 84-73 and 73 St. Louis Cardinals came to Shea Stadium to visit the 54-103 and 103 New York Mets. Uh, that's right. The Mets actually ended the season on a six-game winning streak. Uh, they were 53 and 103 at one point in time. Uh, the game was in front of 17,037 people. I wonder if that many will be there when I go to the Mets' final home game, uh, September 30th, uh, a mere 28 years and one day later. But on that night, the Mets and Cardinals would play a one nothing, 17-inning barn burner, uh, each team recording all of six hits in their 17 innings. And I'm just fascinated by all the things that pretty much could, could, would not ever happen in 2021 baseball uh, those 28 years ago. Uh, I mean, first of all, the game going 17 innings uh, with, uh, with the Manfred Ball rules that we currently have in extra innings, that would... That would require incredible feats of luck and coincidence for the runner on second rule to yield a 17-inning game, although I would actually kind of love to watch that, just for the sheer statistical improbability of it. Those 17 innings were played in 4 hours and 21 minutes. I feel like most of these 9-inning Met games I'm currently watching take 4 hours and 21 minutes. I guess not quite but it really does feel like it. And finally, in the course of those 17 innings, the St. Louis Cardinals put 21 players out on the field to the Mets' 17, which I guess is not impossible, but was probably aided by the expanded September rosters, especially when you look at all of the position players in the game, because in those 17 innings, the Mets used only four pitchers, the Cardinals' six, which again would probably be a normal nine-inning game these days. And unlike the runner-on-second rule, which, like all of the Manfred Ball rules, I do think of as a bit of a low-key tragedy, uh, you know, I was certainly somewhat in favor of the minimizing of the rosters in September, you know, from a practical and competitive standpoint. I think Gary, Keith, and Ron have waxed about that uh, often. But it certainly does cut down on the, you know, seeing those young players come up in September and the 
random players that you may see and never see again and give me fodder for this podcast. So there is, there is of course, something lost by, by, by what we've gained with limiting the rosters. Um, but it just was interesting to me, all of those factors, which, you know, really are not prevalent today. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of action in a game where there were 12 hits recorded over 17 innings, 12 hits total by both teams. Uh, notable for from a Met perspective, there are a lot of notable names in Met history and lore in this game. Perhaps most notable in a Met, from a Met perspective is that, uh, I guess, in an effort to give us some hope, not like he was exactly a scintillating pitching prospect, but the Mets called up young Bobby Jones for his debut on August 14th of 1993. This game would mark the ninth start of his young major league career, and it was by far and away the best, and perhaps the first one to give any hope that he might be a piece of the Mets rotation in the future, as the young starter went 10 scoreless innings in this game. Again, talk about something you'll probably never see again is a team allowing a 23-year-old pitching prospect of moderate note, I mean really a pitcher of any note at age 23, to go 10 innings uh, in his ninth career Major League start. While Bobby Jones was matched by Cardinal starter Real Cormier for seven and the Cardinals bullpen thereafter, he did stymie a lineup that would featured future Met Bernard Gilkey leading off for the Cardinals, went 0 for 6 that day. He also stymied past Met Greg Jeffries, who batted third for the Cardinals that day and went 0 for 5, though he did draw a couple of walks. Ozzie Smith and Todd Zeal, uh, Ozzie nearing the end of his career, but still notable, and Zeal just beginning, kind of having the first big year of his career in 93, both got the day off for a, presumably for as veterans and established players, for a team that was also kind of playing out the string against a incredibly shitty Met team, but of course both got into the game uh, as pinch hitters, as will happen in a 17-inning affair. And as for the Mets, well, just a lot of names in there that should probably just be featured in future podcasts. But, you know, the, the, the spoils, quote-unquote, of the David Cohn trade, Ryan Thompson and Jeff Kent, both prominently in the in the lineup and going 1-for-14 between themselves. Another rookie hopeful, Jeremy Burnett, getting an unsuccessful pinch-hitting appearance later in the game. But for 16 long innings, nobody scored that day. Uh, after Bobby Jones, Jeff Innes, and Mauro Gazzo both spun three scoreless innings apiece. And so in the top of the 17th, on came Kenny Greer for his Major League Baseball debut. Kenny Greer threw 13 pitches, nine strikes in a perfect top of the 17th inning. He got Eric Pappas to line out to left field and then struck out. Geronimo Pena and Les Lancaster to end the inning. Lancaster batting for himself as the pitcher. Uh, whether the Cardinals were out of pinch hitters or had just effectively given up, I don't know. I'm going to have to guess they're probably out of pinch hitters, even with the expanded rosters. In the bottom of the 17th, Eddie Murray led off with the infield single, uh, cut off by the shortstop before going into the outfield and was advanced to second on a sacrifice bunt. See, sometimes they really do work. 
for even though Chico Walker popped out to record the second out, fouled out actually, Jeff Kent doubled over center fielder Ray Langford's head to plate Murray, mercifully ending the game, giving the Mets a 1-0 17th inning walk-off victory, and giving Kenny Greer in his Major League debut his one and only Major League win. Greer would stay in the Mets organization in 1994, uh, never making it out of AAA, uh, suffered some arm injury problems, uh, had to do some rehab time in rookie ball, but never made it back to the majors as a Met. After the 94 season, he was granted free agency and signed with the Giants organization, uh, where he spent 1995 uh, partly in AAA, but got uh, the remainder of his major league career appearing in eight games as a giant, uh, throwing 12 innings, allowing seven runs, uh, five walks, seven strikeouts, and uh, recording two losses, uh, going 0-2 over his eight games as a giant. Greer would bounce around the Giants, Pirates, and Orioles organizations from 95 through 97, before finally retiring from baseball at the age of 30. Unlike a lot of ex-athletes, he did not stay in the game as a coach or anything like that, and uh, really all I could find, according to Wikipedia, is that he has had a successful career as a recruiter in the energy industry uh, since retiring from baseball in 1997. I confess I remember the game. Those epic extra-inning games always just draw my attention, and despite the Mets being horrible, I remember paying a lot of attention to baseball in 1993, in large part just because that Giants-Braves pennant race was so riveting. It was one of the most compelling non-Met uh, baseball stories I remember watching. But while I remember the game, I, I did not remember Kenny Greer, or I was reminded of him, as I mentioned at the beginning, reading the uh, Faith and Fear and Flushing book, you know, with all due respect to my Amazing Avenue colleagues and, and with no respect to me, who's pretty useless, unlike unlike my colleagues, I, I, I find Faith and Fear and Flushing to be probably the best written Met blog out there, and it's one that I read with great joy. And of course, uh, I, when it came out, I bought the book that Greg Prince released of the same name, and there's a fantastic afterword in the book where uh, Greg interviews Gary Cohen, and and in his intro uh, to talking to Gary Cohen, reminisces about listening to this game the, and how Bob Murphy and Gary Cohen could keep someone riveted to a meaningless one nothing 17-inning game in September. And of course, the beautiful kicker punch is that when uh, Greg Prince went up to tell Gary how wonderful he thought he had been at that game, which at that point had been three years previous, uh, Gary casually responded, oh, you mean the Kenny Greer game, which, you know, is of course, first and foremost, a reminder of what a gift it is that we have Gary Cohen and Gary, Keith, and Ron to stoke and create and mingle with our baseball memories. What a gift it is that we have so many passionate Met fans and so many who are wonderful writers like Greg Prince and like many of the Mason Avenue colleagues I am very proud of, who care enough about a team to keep watching when they're 54 and 103 and care enough to remember the random, ridiculous moments like Kenny Greer in that franchise's ridiculous history. 
I mean, even when the seasons don't go the way they, we, that we want, they're still there, and we'll miss them when we're when they're gone. And that's sadly coming soon. But Kenny Greer truly had his unformidable Met moment uh, for his Met career. 1-0, 1,001 loss percentage, Sterling 0 ERA, one inning pitched, no hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts, three batters faced, a negative 1.01 FIP. If only we could have bottled that. Uh, for his major league career, Kenny Greer was 1-2 with a 4.85 ERA. He got in nine major league games, pitching in 13 major league innings. And because of his brief but rough stint with the 95 Giants, his career war, according to baseball reference, was negative 0.5. But he made it to the show, and on one very long September night in 1993, he ended the night with one perfect inning, and the night ended in a positive way for our team. Strange the baseball memories you can carry through an offseason and through the years. So playing out the string, there they are. I'm sure I'll be watching this week. I hope you all are, too. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and any and all of our Amazon podcasts wherever you get them. Please subscribe. Leave us a review. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRRWOLFFRR, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, opening day or last week of a lost season, let's go Mets.